Happy Easter. Do you know this is the third Sunday in the season of Easter, and Easter is not over. And it has nothing to do with snow, <laughs> or tulips, or lilies. It has to do with the resurrection. And we are in the midst of a series about practicing resurrection. Have you been practicing resurrection? Have you been working on your Easter egg challenge? Okay, more on that later. And we'll be actually asking you to share. But right now, you might have detected that there's a little bit of darkness and despair in the world. In this past week, particularly, we have been connected with the darkness and despair and violence in Syria. But Alan reminded us a few weeks ago that the, la- the worst thing is never the last thing. And even though right now there is much to despair, there is much to despair because there is death and destruction from Assad, from Russia, from the United States and our allies. There is death and destruction, but as people of the resurrection, we have to remind ourselves of the truth that we hear at the beginning of the Gospel of John, the beginning of the story that John tells about Jesus, the story of Jesus coming into the world, which is that light shines in the darkness. Light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There, I looked at many translations of this verse, and the beginning of the verse is always the same. The light shines in the darkness. But the last part, every single translation interprets it quite differently, which I understand to mean that those words in Greek have a lot of meaning. And there is a lot of depth there, and there are many ways to understand what those words are saying. And I believe they are all true. So here's a few. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not extinguish the light. A light that thrives in the depth of darkness blazes through murky bottom. It cannot and will not be quenched. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The life light blazed out of the darkness. The darkness couldn't put it out. The light shines in the darkness. I don't know how many of you have seen the new movie, The Wrinkle in Time, or you, you have read the book. Our family has been reading the book 
um, the audiobook listening to it, and I have finished it, and Rachel has finished it, and Catherine is working on it. And Alan, I won't mention Alan. <laughs> but. I read it in middle school. <laughs> yesterday, when um, we were listening to the book, or maybe it was Friday, Catherine and I listened to these words, just this phrase the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And those words are separate from this passage that I want to share with you from that book. And the whole story of the book is really about light and darkness, and love and evil, and the power of love to overcome everything. Madeline Lingle is the author and one of my favorite theologians. Suddenly, there was a great burst of light through the darkness. The light spread out, and where it touched the darkness, the darkness disappeared. The light spread until the patch of dark thing had vanished. And there was only a gentle shining. And through the shining came the stars, clear and pure. Then slowly, the shining dwindled until it too was gone. And there was nothing but stars and starlight. No shadows, no fear. Only the stars and the clear darkness of space. Quite different from the fearful darkness of the thing. Not all darkness is death and violence and evil. Some darkness is beautiful and holy. But there is the need for light and love to overcome the darkness that is hate and fear. One of my other favorite theologians is Nadia Boltz-Weber, who Alan quoted last week talking about something like this. And I um, came across this video this week where she explains this phrase as a basic confession of Christianity. Light overcomes darkness. What is the light and why can't darkness also the thing that Christians, this is one of our basic confessions as Christians, is that a light shines in the darkness and the, dark, and the darkness cannot, will not, shall not overcome it. This is a confession we have to make all the time, especially, especially surrounded as we are with such despair and darkness and violence. It's a confession that has to ring through. It has to. I mean, it, and this is not the same as optimism. This is not a vapid optimism, right? Hope is different. Hope is, it has a defiance to it. Optimism is just uh, shallow, really. 
And it's like going against the evidence in front of you. Like, la, 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 la. <laughs> you know, that's optimism. Hope is saying, oh no, there's something deeper. There's something more powerful. And that's that, that light that you're talking about. It's, it's deeper and more powerful, and it will overcome the darkness. This is the basic confession of Christians. It has to be. What, where if we believe, that we believe in death and resurrection, right? A, a, a sort of crucified God who was resurrected. So this has to be our basic confession, is that a light shines in the darkness. And what, how do you get that over? Why do you just say it? Like, why do they get you have to. You have to remind each other. You have to point to it. You have to point it out where you see it. You know, Everything else might be conspiring to convince us otherwise, and uh, Craig Kester is this Lutheran theologian. He wrote this beautiful thing about the reason why it can feel like the forces of darkness and evil are so powerful is because they're raging because they know they've already lost. So if it feels like those forces are so powerful, you have to understand that's out of fear because they know they've already lost. That has to be a basic confession of Christianity. And yet, instead... She says some other things that aren't related. <laughs> it's really good, not related at all. It is a basic confession of Christianity and something we have to remind each other of. Because we have to point to it. We have to point it out. That light shines. Not just theoretically, not just somewhere in heaven, but here. Every day, there's light shining in the darkness. And the darkness cannot, shall not, will not overcome it. So we're going to go from the first chapter in the Gospel of John to the last chapter in the Gospel of John. And because I brought this tiny little message that um, stays in our bag means I have to get my reading glasses. <laughs> because I, tr I tried at 9 o'clock. I can't see you all now, but I can see this. So this is um, a story of Jesus appearing to the disciples, and it is the third story. Jesus the story that Alan told that Jesus on the road to Emmaus comes to the disciples and they share a meal and Jesus sees them. Then there's the story of appearing to the disciples and Thomas missing out. And then Thomas seeing Jesus. And then this story, the story of fishing and breakfast on the beach. I love this story. After this, Jesus appeared again to the disciples, this time at the Tiberias Sea, the Sea of Galilee. This is how he did it. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the brother Zebedee, and two disciples were together. Simon Peter announced, I'm going fishing. The rest of them replied, we're going with you. So... For Peter, fishing is the familiar, right? Everything in my life has fallen apart. I don't know what to do next. I was following Jesus. 
he died, he's resurrected, but now what? I'm going to go do this thing that I know how to do. And the disciples say, okay, let's go do that. We're going to go, we're going to go fishing with you. This is such a pain. <laughs> These glasses. <laughs> I, that, that's my next step, yes. Okay, so back to the story. They went out, Peter and the rest of them, they went out and got in a boat. They caught nothing that night. When the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to them. Good morning. Did you catch anything for breakfast? I love that question. Jesus is like, you have empty nets. I know this about you, but I'm going to say it really nice and gentle. Did you catch anything for breakfast? They answered, no. He said, Throw your net off the right side of the boat and see what happens. Jesus is not a fisherman. They probably don't know that this is Jesus at this point. They don't, according to the story, the way it's told. But Peter is a fisherman. They've been fishing all night long, and they have caught nothing. And so this guy on the shore says, hey, did you catch anything? And they say, no, and he says, toss it out on the other side. <laughs> okay, so if you are like, you're missing something, and you're like searching for it everywhere, and you have someone in your life who you're like, where could it possibly be? And they say, oh, well, have you checked, you know, the obvious place? And you're like, yes, of course I checked the obvious place. <laughs> like, this is what Jesus is like, just go do this thing and something different will happen. And they're like, okay, let's do that. Now, we don't know what other story they were saying in their head, like who made the decision to follow this person's advice? But here we go. We're going to throw the nets out on the other side. They did what he said. All of the sudden, there were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. Then the disciple Jesus loved, otherwise known as John, who wrote this version, <laughs> said to Peter, it's the master. When Peter realized it was the master, he threw some clothes on, for he was stripped for work and dove into the sea. This is a funny story, especially from our context to their context. The other disciples came in by boat, for they weren't far from land, a hundred yards or so, pulling along the net full of fish. When they got out of the boat, they saw a fire laid with fish and bread cooking on it. Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter joined them and pulled the net to shore, 153 big fish. And even with all those fish, the net didn't rip. 
This is a miracle. If you haven't gotten that yet, this is like, this shouldn't be able to happen. Jesus said, breakfast is ready. I just love this image of Jesus cooking breakfast for everybody. I just love it. Not one of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the master. Jesus then took bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had shown himself alive to the disciples since being raised from the dead. Jesus does this thing, which is so unexpected. He's just sitting there on the beach, waiting for them, giving them a little advice. So this is the resurrected Christ. So we would say Jesus could do, if Jesus could do anything before the resurrection, Jesus could really do anything after the resurrection. Because, you know, like, he's not limited by the human condition. But Jesus sits on the beach, doesn't say, hey, everybody, look at me, I'm resurrected. I'm so awesome, I'm God, you should worship me. He sits there and he's like, would you like some breakfast? I'm happy to cook for you. Do you need some advice on how to fish? I'm here to help you. This is not how the disciples expected this journey of fishing to end. This is also not how the disciples expected their journey of following Jesus to end or begin. Again, in a different way. Jesus shows them and shows us that whatever we think is the end, is the conclusion, is the end of the story, it's not. And something totally unexpected and beautiful is coming. I also don't, we don't really know at what point which of them, except for John and Peter, understand that this is Jesus. But it is in this story reminiscent of the stories of other times when Jesus has shared bread with them and also shared fish with them. And so if they didn't get it before, they do get it when he says, here's some food, here's some bread. I'm giving me the bread of life. I'm giving you bread here. Remember me. Seeing is believing. Eating is really believing. That's communion. God is always present in food, in communion, and that's where we recognize him. We also find Jesus when we have our eyes open to see how light is overcoming darkness. And we need to show each other these signs of hope in the midst of struggle and hardship, which are always around us in our world, and in our personal lives as well. <clears throat> we use this resource um, that the video 
Nadia um, came from. It's called The Work of the People. And as I was um, looking for an illustration of light in the darkness, I came to learn about um, a woman from Burundi who has been celebrated internationally. And her name, I'm going to not say it well. Can you help me, Nathan? Barankitze. You know her? <laughs> you know her? Yeah. You do know her? Yeah. Of course. She knows people. You know her? Armand, you know her? No? She is a Burundian She began providing food and shelter to 25 children in October of 2000, I mean of 1993 one of the worst days of the Burundian Civil War. She saw many people brutally killed. And she initially gathered these 25 children who were with her so she could help them. But with the help of Burundian and European friends, she organized a network and provided care for a growing number of children. And a few months later, May in 1994, the Roman Catholic bishop of Ruigi, Ruigi agreed to transform a former school into a children's shelter called Maison Shalom. And now there are several places in Rwanda and in Burundi called Maison Shalom. And so She's going to tell us a little bit about her philosophy of life and that life always wins and that light always shines in the darkness. The life I take always the last word. Uh, it's always the, the 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 life who uh, wins, never death. Then uh, it's like the love, the love always. Uh, of course, we see the war, uh, we see so. Um, but many destroy uh, things. But for me, I have even I have seen my family completely uh, destroyed. Sixty percent from my family, and after when I hide, seventy-two percent. My friends, they tied me and they killed them in front of me, and after. I have nothing. They burn all the things I have. 
have no clothes. I was without clothes. Even under war. Like, really, like Jesus. But for me, I have other eyes. It's why I founded Maison Shalom to say we are, we are able to put the candle among those darkness. And even its only little candle, it will show all those people who make atrocities, who, uh, who kill. My, my problem was not, was not about victims. I didn't open Maison Shalom for victims. I opened for killers because I want to stop, to stop them to kill. Because victims have no problems in their uh, conscience. Because everybody has compassion, pity for them. But the, the criminal, nobody. But they are also our criminal brothers. They are also created with God. And God gives his son for them also. Do you believe that? you think love really goes that far? Of course. Why? If there was love, why God must be on the cross? He came, <laughs> of course, for those, for our sin. He didn't come just to want to be on the cross. He came because he loved Sonamuva until to the cross to show I am the winner. And he's the winner. And we are the winner. Or we are the winner. never death. We put the candle among the darkness, and even if it's only a little candle, I think uh, the light it will show all the people the light. It's true, and as Christians we must believe that light shines in the darkness. So, where have you seen light shining in the darkness? Anybody seen light shining in darkness? Well, I think for me, I was, as you were talking, you know, I was thinking of Martin Luther King was a light amongst the darkness of racial of uh, violence, of uh, terrorism, right? Uh, for people in the South and throughout America who were experiencing uh, uh, segregation and all of that, they didn't see an end, hmm. right? I mean, there was no end coming. This was America, land of the whole, you know, home of the brave and the free, and. And, 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 and the great society, and Martin Luther King came about and said, no, there's, I've, I've been to the mountaintop, right? 
and he showed he showed a light, a candle, one person in a vast darkness in this country, yeah. in this world, really. Yeah. One person. And a movement behind him, but yeah. He knew, he knew, you know, where, where there's one candle, right? We're not just more segregated, we're more oppressed in various ways. Yeah. Eileen? I'm reading a book called The Lot of Women Rising, and it's so like what she said. And the light in the darkness is full of light in the darkness. See what it takes one to have before. The women, the Hutu and the Tutsi women banding together, although the Hutus killed the Tutsis, and fixing meals for the it's called Rwandan Women Rising. Standing up for themselves and for schools. Yes. I think this image of, um, that Nadia shares from the Lutheran theologian whose name is eluding me right now, but that the, the evil knows that it's lost. And so it's afraid and is fighting hard against the light, but the light will win. And that's why there's so much chaos right now. I think it, it's a really hopeful image. So, is anybody working on your Easter egg challenge? Anybody need an Easter egg challenge? Hasn't gotten one yet? Can you help pass them out? <laughs> there is chocolate in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, anybody want to share um, a good thing or a challenging thing about your Easter egg challenge that you're currently working on? 
You have until May 13th. It's not too late. Mark? Yeah, so I ended up with two Easter eggs on Easter because I couldn't say no to Una when she tried to give me a second one. <laughs> <laughs> not because you wanted the chocolate. That's how I, I did not eat all the chocolate. <laughs> My children ate two pieces of chocolate. Not one person chocolate. But that is not the whole truth. Part of the truth is I really did not like the first challenge I got, and I was really happy with the darkness cannot, shall not, will not overcome it. This is a confession that we have to make all the time, especially surrounded as we are with such despair and darkness and violence. 